a Boy Scout, and a computer expert were on a plane. Can you take this down a little bit? <clears throat> the pilot came on the, plane, on the speaker and said, I have some bad news for you folks. Our plane is going to go down and we only have three parachutes. And they thought about it seriously as they looked at each other and, and the, the pilot said, and I want you to know that I'm keeping one of them because I have a wife and three children. And then he jumped out of the plane. The other three guys looked at each other thinking, well, there's only two left. What should we do? And well, the computer whiz, he, he looked at everybody else and said, I'm the smartest man in the world. They need me. He grabbed the parachute, put it on, and jumped out of the plane. The minister said with a smile to the Boy Scout, well, you're young and you still have your full life ahead of you. You should take the other parachute. And the Boy Scout looked at him for a second and said, well, the smartest man in the world just took my backpack and jumped. <laughs> How do you move ahead? I've been going to Vietnam for years, and sometimes I think to myself, have we made any real impact? And you've been praying about something for years, and it seems like nothing has happened to change the scenario. Maybe it's an illness or somebody you know that you love that's going through something and you've prayed and you've prayed. And oftentimes it seems like everyone else gets their prayers answered except for us. I don't have to look very far in our auditorium to see people who need prayers answered. Not very far. It's good to see the Savikases back in service and, and to have their younger son upstairs in children's ministry because he's been through many, many, many physical issues. And so sometimes you're going through life and you, you think, I don't know if I'm moving forward or not. And God, like, works in various ways at various times to let us realize who he is, but it's not usually in our timing. And my message this morning is, is one of the last, as we go through the the book of Joshua, and I've called it Rules of Engagement because there are rules of engagement. I've always been fascinated in the Vietnam War and the, and the country of Vietnam because everybody in my age category was in that 10-year war. There were actually um, multitudes of kids from my high school that got drafted. I always feared that they'll put the draft back and since Korea is a very sensitive area in the world right now, and you have all these hot spots that our president has to deal with, and I was like, boy, I sure wouldn't want my kids to have to go to war because I saw so many in my age category that had to go into the Vietnam War. There were some 58,000 young men and women that died in that war. They actually had rules of engagement. I wrote a bunch of them down because I was so fascinated by it to think that the rules were simple for them, but, but not so simple. One was that you don't shoot unless the enemy shoots at you first. Secondly, you must wait until he breaches the, the perimeter before you can even shoot at him. Thirdly was you're not allowed to chase the enemy back into his safe zone. And lastly, it was give every civilian the benefit of the doubt. So the first year I went to Vietnam, I can remember distinctly, we brought 50 people with us. That was years ago. 
14 of them were Vietnam vets. And so for them, it was a very, very traumatic situation. We started down at the bottom of the country in Ho Chi Minh or Saigon, whichever you'd like to call it. And we traveled on a, a big Greyhound bus all the way up through the country. And we had to stop many times because the guys would say, stop here because this is where a lot of my friends died, right over there. And then they would tell us a story. I can remember them telling us about guys being buried in the mud in this bank with foliage all around it to get the enemy. And I thought to myself as I had to go to the Vietnamese headquarters in Hanoi, which is the capital in the very north, that's where the Viet Cong were located, the, the very, very communistic, strict communist soldiers, the Viet Cong. And, and so we had to go to the north because they took all of our luggage and all of the supplies we brought. We had a, a dentist come with us and we had a doctor come with us. We had all kinds of dental supplies and, and medical equipment and a dentist chair and hundreds of gallons of paint. And we went there to the Vietnamese headquarters and they were ridiculously strict and told us, sit over there and don't talk. And, and we argued with them about the things that we brought and that we wanted them back, that we were gonna use them to help the people. We couldn't even get our luggage. We had to fight the entire day to get our luggage. Finally, they gave us our luggage back, but they gave us none of our supplies, nothing that we had. They confiscated it all and sold it on the black market. In Vietnam, you basically own nothing. There are some 250 miles of tunnels underneath the country where the Vietnamese soldiers hid. If they went back into their tunnels, we weren't allowed to shoot at them. Now, during the Obama administration, we had the same rules of engagement that we had during the Vietnam War. And that's why we were, there was a major setback um, in our nation over the past eight years. We just have not been told how much and to what degree. Even now, as the terrible hurricane hit in Texas, I heard that they were only able to get about a third of the planes off of the ground into the air before the hurricane hit because most of our planes are in some, they're not fit to travel in. They're not fit to fly. Rules of engagement. The rules of engagement were such that we couldn't really win the war, and so 58,000 different men, young men, died because of the rules of engagement. I think that God actually has rules of engagement for, for the Christian life. And if you look back in Joshua chapter 23, as you come to the end of the chapter, you have to really start thinking about what would God want me to learn about fighting the battle in the Christian life? How can I win the battle over the things that come into my life on a daily basis? How do I match up to the things that God is going to send me? You just automatically assume that from last week to this week, you might be back here again if you weren't going on vacation or something. But during this week, this past seven days, many things have changed from last week. I'll guarantee you when the Gillettes went for their walk with their dog, they never dreamed that it would be her last day on the planet. Never dreamed it. You never know when something crazy is going to happen. When I hear stories about the Vietnam War, 
I remember hearing about men, how they were trained to get through a minefield. And they taught the men that you discover how to get out of the minefield when you're actually in the middle of it. One of two options. You can actually follow in the footsteps of the person that got out safely, or you can backtrack in your own footsteps to where you came from. And I think that often in the Christian life, this is the case. Often in the Christian life, we don't look back to see where we came from so that we have reminders we don't need to keep going back there. We should learn from the mistakes we already made that put us in this minefield. Or we should be smart enough to stay close to people who actually have had the victory and gotten out of the minefield and follow in their footsteps. That's not cultic. That's just good leadership. So, so many Christians are bound because they're never being reminded of what they've come out of. And they're not following anyone who can actually help them to get out of what they were in. And so Joshua wants to make sure that we understand that if we're going into the promised land, and if all the old folks have stayed back there in the desert because they got used to the desert ways, if they're going to stay back there in that because they're so content there, then we better learn some things as we go into the promised land. You want to have victory? Yes or no? Yes. You want to have change? Yes or no? Yes. You see, what is insanity? Is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Some of us get in a pattern where we're okay for a while and we're sailing along and everything seems to be great and we're having victory in our Christian life and then all of a sudden we find ourselves back in the same rut. The same place where we were that we thought we had gotten victory and come out of. But we're right back where we were. History is repeating itself. And Joshua wants to make sure, because as I shared last week, he's now at the end of his life. He's gotten old. And he wants to make certain that if anything, he has left a legacy for people to show them how to get out, to how to get out, how to get free, how to be set free, because they understand that the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. If you're walking with God, you can depend on this. He's either going to be trying to steal something from you that doesn't belong to him anyway, like your health, your finances, your kids, your marriage, your happiness, your sanity. Either he's trying to steal that or he's literally straight up trying to kill you. It'll never stop because that's what he's about. He's about destroying our destiny and changing where God would like to take us. Yes or no? Yeah. God wants to take us somewhere, but you have to. You have to remind yourself of where you came from. If you go back to being just like that, the conniving snake, you'll end up exactly where you don't want to go. Those who don't know history are 
deemed to repeat it. Will Rogers said, the trouble with using experience as your guide is that sometimes the final exam becomes before the lesson. Did you know that? Sometimes the final exam actually comes before the lesson. God says, I'm going to test you right now because here's what happens. I've, this, none of this is in PowerPoint. <clears throat> I remember my wife teaching various people piano lessons. And I would think to myself, you know, we had a lady who prayed that her husband would change, and he prayed that her husband would change, and she prayed, excuse me, she prayed that her husband would change, and prayed and prayed and prayed, and she wanted him to be saved. And finally our prayers were answered, and he accepted Christ into his life. And he got involved in spiritual things and wanted to be where there would be somebody to nurture him and help him to grow in his faith, and she got mad at God because she didn't want her husband for God. She wanted her husband for her. You get this? I guarantee you, I can make you a promise right now knowing enough about this. If you got saved or changed because you thought that would help you to get what you want, you can't bargain with God that way. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You can't go back on your word to God. God is good. He's going to follow you. He's not going to let the enemy come and choke out that seed that he planted. He's going to follow you to see if you'll keep the promise. Well, do I see this all the time? You pray and pray and pray. I want to get married. I just want to find a really good Christian girl. And then you get convinced there aren't any. You're pretty sure. There are no good Christian girls out there. So I need to compromise and find one that's kind of ish Christian-ish. All I got to say that is ish. There's no ish stuff about it. If she's not a Christian and you're a Christian and you start dating her, you're going to be miserable. Because the Bible says not to be unequally yoked together. You see, we talk about engagement all the time, but there's got to be some rules for engagement here. Don't there? There have to be some rules of engagement that are actually enforced in your life. I can help you. He can't help you. He can't help you. Nobody can help you. Well, I want you to think about this. Either you're going to backtrack and look at your own footsteps and go right back to what you were because there's so many people that go in cyclical patterns of getting right and then they get wrong and then they get right and then they get wrong and they get happy and then they get sad and then they, get, and then they use all these excuses all the time, but I'm bipolar. You know, have you ever noticed how everything's buy now? Buy this, buy that. Buy, 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 buy. Buy, buy. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to criticize this. That's the devil's trick to make you think that you have a legitimate physical health issue that prevents you from getting over your screwball stuff. Look back and see where you came from and find that you'll find great joy in God. Nothing else will satisfy you. Nothing. Am I right about that? Yeah. If you're a child of God in the room, you know this this morning. Nothing will satisfy like Jesus. You live pure in heart, you're happy. You don't, you're miserable. He set the rules of engagement. So I got just a few things I want to share real quickly. Number one, remember who's doing the fighting for you. This is the rule of engagement. If you don't remember who is doing the fighting as a Christian, you are going to end up discouraged and taken out. This is what the scripture says. After a long time had passed, the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned 
all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. You better learn this, people of God. It is God who fights for us. If God be for me, nobody can be against me. That ought to bless you like crazy. God is the one fighting. If you do the fighting, you're going down. You're going to be bipolar, all right. You're going to be by yourself. You're going to be by yourself. Because people who don't stick with God don't even have friends. They're not real friends. No. People who stick with God stick with people who stick with God. That's how it works, isn't it? You find out where God is working and you go join him. You don't say, well, I have to compromise a little bit the rule of engagement. You know, I don't really understand that totally. I'm never going to get a wife if I don't go looking. God will bring her to your doorstep. Yeah, I, I married a couple this weekend. Mike Timmer, that goes through our church, and Jenny. It was awesome. If you know them, they've been coming for a while now, about, I don't know, six or eight months. They've totally changed. And he said this to me this weekend. I went to such and such a big church, and I thought that I was saved going there, but it wasn't until I came here that I understood the gospel, until I understood what salvation really was. There's got to be a change. You can't say you're saved and then go live in just how you've lived because you're going to be in the same misery. Don't you want to get free? If you're to win any battle that you're fighting, you must realize you can't fight it alone. And if you don't understand that it is the Lord who fights the battle, you're going to be frustrated all the time. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake, the scripture says. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. I want to take possession of what God has already promised me. Why are we not taking possession of what God has promised me? Because you're trying to take possession of something that God doesn't want you to have. You're going after a man who is not even a Christian. Shame on you. You'll never be happy. You might have sex, but you'll never be happy. He probably won't stay with you anyway. You got to stay with God and understand the only way to a destiny that make, brings peace and joy in your life is with God. That's not mean. That's good. Yes, it is. This is good. Look where you've been and look who's already had the victory and follow them. Don't go looking for friends who will make you happy. Look for people who have had the victory in their life. And follow them. It was not Joshua's ability to lead Israel that brought the victory. It was obedience to God's plan of battle. When I submit to God and draw near to him, the devil runs. Yes, when I submit to God and say, when you have questions about things, because sometimes we just say, I really don't know if I should do this or not. I'm just not sure if I should do this. or, uh, But I don't know. Yeah, you do. You already know you shouldn't do it. You're arguing with yourself to try to make yourself think that you should do something that you already know God would not want you to do. 
Too many people say things like, I can't stop smoking, I can't stop drinking, I can't stop pornography, I can't stop my depression, I can't stop my materialism, I can't stop my criticism, I can't stop my double-minded, wavering disloyalty to everybody that I come in contact with. You know what? You will never have any friends. No one will want to be in your hole with you in Vietnam. No one, because they can't trust you. Every time they look at you, you think, I know where he came from, but I don't think he does, and I know where he's going, and I'm not following in his footsteps because I'm going to explode right with him. You go to Vietnam, you'll find all kinds of people with legs and arms missing because all along the beach, the China Sea, all the way up and down, minefields were planted, and many kids would go play in them after the war was over and get body parts taken out. No matter what the fault is or the failure or the sin, the reason we keep falling back into it is because most of the time we're trying to fight the battle in our own power and not with the power of the Lord. The power of the Lord is pretty strong. If you got, if you got Jesus inside, he's given you the power source. You tap into it. For though we live in the war world, we do not wage war as the world does because the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, don't they? It's like a massive bomb goes off when the presence of God is, is in the house. When it's God you're praying to and saying, Lord, we want healing. I want healing. I want my marriage to work. I want my kids back. I want my happiness back. I want to have joy, God. The only way that's going to happen is if you put him back and, and realize that every good thing comes from God and every bad thing comes from the enemy who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Wow. We take captive every thought. Too many people want to do what they want to do, but then they want you to step in and fix the mess that they made. Oh, yeah. Oh, pastor, you need to come right now. I need Just for an hour. Just for three hours. Pastor, I just need you just this once. Could, could you possibly call me right now? And I'm thinking, no, I can't fix your stuff. Only God can. He wants you to have to lean on him. And when you in all your ways acknowledge him, he directs your paths. Yes, he does. Too many people want to do what they want to do and still get out of the mess. The only way that you can know how God is speaking is through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and people. The only way. God will use one of those or the other if you're listening. There are all kinds of consequences for sin. My second, my second um, rule of engagement is this. Don't just remember who's doing the fighting. Remember who you are fighting. You better remember who the enemy is. You know what I see in America right now? I see total anarchy because we've made each other the enemy. There's civil war brewing. It's not good. It is we against them. Are we not all Americans? Racism should not exist in this country. Racism is not welcome here. God does not color, care about the color of skin, what country you came from. He does not care about any of that garbage. God loves everybody the same. Our country's in deep trouble because we're more worried about what monuments are in the nation than we are getting back to serving the God upon which our nation was founded.
Soon they'll want to tear the Capitol down. Watch. Remember who you're fighting. Remember this, who you're fighting. Because the enemy is tricky. Yes, he is. He loves to use ways that you would not think to get to you. Most of the people in the room are struggling with something this morning. Most of us. Guarantee you. If I went around and asked every person, what's the biggest struggle you have in your life? Most of us would have something that's really troubling us. Or that we've prayed about. And it hasn't changed. And we just don't know what to do with the scenario that we're in. There are consequences for sin. Sin always has unintended consequences. Always. Take the Seattle man, for example, who tried to steal gasoline from a motorhome. Attaching a siphoning hose to the vehicle. He went to work. But police found him shortly afterward writhing in agony on the street. Seems he had attached the hose not to the gasoline tank, but to the, but to the motorhome sewer tank. Sometimes you think that you're getting away with something. Come on now. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Listen up. You think you're getting away with something and that there are no consequences for your little secret world, your secret life, the secret things we do because everybody has them. By the way, everybody has secret things, secrets they don't want to share because we all want to look good publicly. And that's why God is very clear. Don't run your brother down whom you have seen. Fight the enemy, not the guy sitting next to you at church, not your spouse, not your kids. Fight the enemy. You're drinking sewer and expecting not to get sick. You're expecting that everything's going to be good when you leave God on the back burner and play games. National Geographic reported that a 13-foot Burmese python swallowed a 6-foot alligator in Florida. The consequences were lethal. The alligator actually split the snake open from the inside. This is what's happening, and I am totally convinced of this. There are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world. There are principalities over whole cities, certain principalities. If there was one principality that I see over Grand Rapids, Hudsonville, Jenison, Granville, Zealand, Holland, if there's one that I see, it's this, fake Play the game, act the act, assassinate your fellow brothers and sisters instead of loving them and facing them. If you want to talk about me and you want to bash on me face to face, let's do it. Come on, bring it on. Bring it on. Let's have it out and then love each other. I can't handle this phoniness. Phoniness. Fake. Look the part. Good, clean living. Really, if that isn't a trick of the devil, I don't know what is. There's not one in here that's righteous. No, not one. You know that? I didn't say that. God said it. There's not one in here. i got to soften down a little bit so you know that I love you. <laughs> no, there's nobody in here that's righteous. I sometimes wonder if we even believe God's word. Who are you fighting? And are you really honestly think, if you watch the commercials for upcoming movies and stuff that's on television now, it is ridiculous. Stephen King's new movie, It. It. He's 
got this little kid running down the street, throws a paper plane, and it goes down in the sewer vent there. And he reaches down to get it, and a clown comes out. Didn't clowns used to be for fun? Bozo the Clown had a show on television. Now if Bozo the Clown came on, kids would go into some kind. They'd need a safe place. We'd have to offer counseling to everybody if Bozo the Clown came on TV. It's like, ah, mommy, I can't sleep. Clowns used to be funny. You think the devil's not out to steal, kill, and destroy and take everything we have that's fun and good and right and clean? Huh? I'm not preaching in my own flesh. I'm preaching because this hits me. Know who the enemy is. Good, clean living. No consequences? Dr. Dr. Ralph Sockman writes an experience he had while standing on the edge of Niagara Falls one clear, cold March day. Wrapped in white winter garments, the falls glistened in the bright sun as some birds swooped down to snatch a drink out of the falls, he says. They would take a drink and then step away, not realizing that some of the rain had crystallized on their wings. And then they'd fly back and take another swoop down, and more water crystallized on their wings, and it turned to the point to where the last time they went down to get water, they couldn't get up. They were swoop right over the falls. If there's anything I hate in the entire world, it has to be snakes. I hate snakes. Heights and snakes. I can't even watch anything where a guy's standing on the edge of a, some tall building. There's people that aren't afraid of that at all. Me, I just fall. <laughs> but I hate snakes. So if you were to go in, years ago, if you were to go into the Peace Corps, you would find that you would get a manual on things to believe. And the group of people that was assigned to go to the Amazon received instructions on how to deal with meeting on a path somewhere a python, an anaconda, actually, because the anaconda is the biggest snake in the world. They get up to 30 to 40 feet long. They weigh up to around 400 pounds. How to handle a snake online. You can see how large that one is. So here are the rules real quickly. How to handle an anaconda. Number one, if attacked, don't run. The snake is faster than you are. Ooh, wow. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Yeah, like for sure. <laughs> lie flat on the ground. Put your arms and your legs at your side. And don't fight as the snake starts to crawl up your legs. Number three, tuck in your chin. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb up your body. Number five, do not panic. <laughs> I'm not making this up. This is for real. Number six, after the snake has examined you, it'll begin to swallow you from the feet first. It is always from the feet first. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Once again, do not panic. <laughs> I guarantee you by then I'm dead. <laughs> I panicked so much the snake has chewed me up. Number seven, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. 
Number eight, when the snake reaches your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down and take out your knife and very gently slide it between the edge of the snake's mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upward, severing the snake's head. Nine, be sure to have your knife with you. It's a little late now. Ten, be sure to keep your knife sharp. You know, one of the biggest problems when engaging the enemy, and we do it on a daily and a weekly basis, is that we don't even know where to begin when it comes to dealing with what's coming. About the time you think that this week is going to be a really good week, maybe have vacation, maybe the Hudsonville Fair is on and you'd just love to go there and ride the zipper or the Gravitron or whatever nasty rides they have there. You're all excited about the upcoming week and then suddenly something comes that you totally didn't expect and caught you off guard. You did not know how to mentally or physically prepare for what came last week. Yes, we had one of those weeks at our house. We had one of those. And the only thing you know to do is, number one, remember who's fighting for you. If God be for us, no one can be against us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two, don't just remember who's fighting for you. Remember who you're fighting because you're going to need the one that fights for you or you're not going to make it. You're going to give in. You're going to fall apart. You're going to feel like jumping off a cliff. You're going to get so discouraged and depressed that you think you can't go on. And that's exactly where the devil wants you to be. Did you realize this? No one ever fought a battle by running from the enemy. No, 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 no. No one ever fought a battle by running from the enemy. You have to face fair and square up against what it is you are being expected to have to deal with in your life. Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign, is he not? If you don't believe that God is on, in your court, on your page, defending you, you don't know God. Lord, I need you. Don't you need him? Yeah, he's never failed me yet. He's never failed me. He's never failed you. You just haven't always realized that he's fighting for you. One day you'll look back and say, I wouldn't trade what I went through. Right? Anybody at that stage right now, yes? Say yes. Anybody have, that's had to face something catastrophic that you actually, when you were going through it, thought you couldn't face it, but looks back now and knows it was for your benefit? Amen? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if that's you. It's happening right now to Mike and Savikas and, and to you guys and to many people. God is saying to you, I am for you. Don't lose track of me. If you want to get out of your pit and you're in the middle of the war, you follow the foots of someone who made it out safely. Yes, yes, yes. Find someone. Find someone who made it out safely and can help you out. Strip, scripture is so clear. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I found three things in there last night as I was reading it again. Three very important things right in those verses. Come near to God, number one. 
You got to get near to him. Come near. We need you, God. We want you in the house right now. Come near to God. Number two, wash your hands. I'm going to wash my hands of this garbage. How can you expect to become right with God when your house is full of garbage? It stinks in there. You've gotten so used to the stench that it doesn't even bother you anymore. You got to get rid of it. Wash those hands right now. Right now. You're going to wash your hands of something that Satan is trying to use to put you down. I'm not going to ask you to tell us what it is, but many of you know what you need to wash your hands of right now. Raise your hand if you know. I know what I need to wash my hands of right now. Yes. You automatically know right now, I got to wash my hands of this because I'm trying to deal with this myself and this is not working. God is for me. He's not against me. You need to have courage because the best weapon you have to fight the devil with is your commander-in-chief. The problem with America right now is CNN, MSNBC, all these liberal newscasters are saying we shouldn't trust our commander-in-chief. If we don't trust our commander-in-chief, we're done. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A nation divided against itself cannot stand. A church divided against itself cannot stand. If you're not for us here, leave. You're not doing us any good. Oh, pastor, that's so cruel because I haven't decided yet. Because I really, I need, I, need to, I need to be here a while and I need to think about a guy who has holes in his jeans, wears a jean jacket, wears, you know, whatever. I, seriously, I need to think about it. You should see what he wore last Sunday. It was like really pathetic, you know. You know, what? How stupid. You say, nobody's that dumb. Nobody does that stuff. Really? Really? You buy into that? You do it. I do it. You do it at times. We look what's wrong with the scenario rather than what's right about what's happening today. Because somebody in the room is changing. Maybe not you, but somebody else is changing. And by the grace of God, they know that if they don't follow those who have changed for the kingdom of God, they're going to get killed. Yes. I always talk about who would you take with you if you had to have four other people and be dropped into Vietnam in the middle of the jungle during the war and you had to be dropped in there, who would you take with you? There's many people I would not take with me. In my mind, the number one qualification would be we're loyal to each other no matter what. That's a cult, really, really. Isn't that marriage? Oh, oh maybe that's why I'm having a problem in my marriage. <laughs> Isn't that family? Maybe that's why I'm having a problem in my family. You honestly don't get it? You're divided all the time. You're always bickering. You always bick, well, it's our job to make sure you're doing the right and preaching the word, Pastor. You better preach the word. I think we should put Bibles in every seat. You mean it's not the Bible if it's on the screen up there? Shut up. Just simply shut up. You are destroying what God wants to do. If you can't follow the commander-in-chief, you certainly can't follow God. And I didn't say it. God's word says it. If you can't love the people, your brothers who you're with, how can you possibly love God whom you've never seen? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the Lord, seed of the Lord begging bread. 
I can guarantee you this, if you come to this church, you'll learn you need God. You'll learn it mighty fast. You'll learn what the gospel is, that you must be saved or you don't even have a chance. You'll learn that, won't you? You got to be saved, don't you? You got saved a couple months ago here. Got to be saved, don't you, Mike? Got to be saved. You got to be saved. Don't you guys? Many people have gotten saved in the last year here. God is transforming their life. They're learning, I don't want to go back there. Don't want to go back there. Don't want to go back there. It's bad back there. I needed to get out of there. But I'm in a battle right now. What do I do? Either look back where you came from and remember that it wasn't good back there so it reminds you of what's ahead. You know, I've watched people get blessed here. I have. Mm-hmm. You got a baby on the way, you're blessed. Yeah, because not everybody gets to have babies, right? Aren't, doesn't that make you just think, wow, I'm so blessed I can't even stand it. I could just stand up and scream right now. <laughs> Anybody feel like that? Okay. For those that are visiting, that's Vince. He, he, just, he just learned to make a lot of noise here. He learned to make a lot of noise. And I know it irritates some people like, Vince, I don't mean to offend you, but somebody actually wrote me and says, does Vince really have to do that? So, so there's, there's a spy in the house, and he's going to go out and say, I told you it's cultic, because they just all go, yeah, Pastor. Yes. I actually had somebody ask me this week, if I thought I was the anointed one. I don't think I'm the anointed one. I pray for anointing, as should you. There's a difference in being the anointed one and being anointed. There's a difference from telling the truth and being mean. Because if it's the truth and it, it, it falls on stony hearts, nothing's going to happen. But if it's the truth, it'll set you free. You won't need to go back to your bipolar roots. You won't need to go back to the Polar Express. You won't need to be at the North Pole. You'll be committed to going to heaven. You got to have courage in the Christian life. Courage is the quality of the spirit within you that enables you to face danger of pain and death without showing fear because you know in whom you have believed and you know that Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Correct or not? Amen? He could do way above what I dreamed, way above. You just hang on. Joshua 23, 7, Joshua comes to this. He says, he was very clear about separation, by the way. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with those nations that remain among you and do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Now, I know what he's thinking. I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, I'm really old because it says that in there. I'm really old, and I'm getting ready to die, and I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen. Now, I can honestly say this, listening to the news. I can't even stand to listen to it anymore, by the way. I'm getting old. I will not live forever, and my kids and my grandkids are going to have to live with what's coming, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not. Oh, there's racism in America. There's racism towards whites, too. 
More and more and more we see trouble in our own nation. And instead of fighting each other in the body of Christ, we should be fighting the enemy. Racism should not exist. We don't need to play games with that stuff. I noticed that Fairhaven has probably 100 or 200 signs around their entire campus saying, hatred is not home here. Hate is not home here either. Hate is not welcome here. We should not hate anyone. We should honestly try to love everyone and get along as well as we possibly can and not be some snake that swallows people. You know who you are. The Bible says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and will be, you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus said it best in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Come out from among them. I read this by Timothy Keller this week. He tweeted it Wednesday. Jesus came to die to shed his blood to take the cup of curse and punishment so we could raise the cup of blessing and love. Yes, he did. Rule number three, remember who a friend is and who is not a friend. Because they're everywhere. He's either a friend or a foe. She's either a friend or a foe. You're either a friend or a foe. You need to know who that is. Do not associate with those nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you roots a thousand. I'm going to stop there because I don't have time to read all of it. It is powerful to understand what the scripture teaches in Joshua chapter 23. He's reminding them that there was only one occasion in our study over the last summer. There was only one occasion where they did not completely win with no fatalities other than AI. Because the first time they went in there, they were assuming that they could be as as energized and powerful as they were in Jericho, but God has a way of switching things up to test us. And they went in and Achan took a bunch of the stuff that God told him not to take, and he hid it under his tent. When there's sin in the house, when there's secret sin in your house, in your life, in this church, in our lives, we all pay for it. 36 men died. That was the only time. And he said, every other time, one of you rooted thousands out. Thousands. The enemy's been defeated. Death can't hold you down. You don't have to have that sickness. You don't have to have that whatever it is Satan sent to you. You can root it out of your life by believing in God, by trusting God. You don't need to be bitter because bitterness brings cancer. Yes, fear is cancer. Fear invoked in us is like a cancer that eats away and you think about it day and night. Fear of not getting married. Fear of not making it financially. Fear of not getting a spouse. Fear that your kids are going to go off and do something horrible. Fear that people aren't going to like you. School started for Josiah this week. I was afraid for him. I noticed you guys have been talking too much today too. I'll be watching you closer next week. Guys in that row? Josiah? Ethan? Isaiah? Zach never talks. He's not in on it. Braden and um, Caleb, wonderful kids. I'll be looking at you <laughs> next week. Well, I can remember this old-fashioned preacher coming to our church. This is not my notes. This is extra you get. 
His name was Jack Kyles. He was always known for all this mammoth bus ministry, and they brought in thousands of kids to their church of the bus ministry. And I can remember him coming to our church to preach, and he was jumping up and down and screaming like a crazy man and raising his hands and talking to the kids. What are you doing over there? And he was shaking the pulpit, and he literally got up on top of it. And as he did, the doors flung open, and all kinds of canned goods rolled out, canned goods, tomatoes and beans and everything rolled out in toilet paper. And What in the world is God's pulpit doing with groceries in it? The janitor had, the ladies had had a missionary fund um, raising thing to get food for poor people, and they didn't have time to do anything with it, so they put it all on the bottom of the pulpit. <laughs> I think those ladies felt like they were going to hell. That's so bad. Those are really good boys over there. Just, I just want them to get something out of the service. So people around them feel free to tap them on the shoulder once in a while and go, um, aren't you the pastor's son? <laughs> oh, wow. See, when we went into the Vietnam War, we did not go into the war with the idea of winning. When you put such ridiculous rules of engagement on the soldiers... You can't win. God wants you to be free to win the battle. You have to know who the enemy is. In an article called Kill Everything That Moves, The Real War in Vietnam, this is what it says. The American forces came blazing in with fighter jets and helicopter gunships. They shook the earth with howitzers and mortars in a country of pedestrians and bicycles, they rolled over the landscape in heavy tanks, light tanks, flamethrowers. The American, uh, Americans unleashed millions of gallons of chem chemical defoliants, millions of pounds of chemical gases and endless canisters of napalm, cluster bombs, high explosive shells, and daisy cutter bombs that obliterated everything within a 10 football field diameter. During the war, the biggest enemy and I remember talking to so many people over the last 25 years about this. The biggest enemy came from friendly fire. The biggest enemy came from friendly fire. That is exactly what Satan is doing to America in our churches. We are so busy fighting each other that no one is being saved. I was going to share this. I was waiting on our luggage and the paint and our medical supplies there in Hanoi. And it was so blistering hot. It was a summer day, about 113 degrees. And I looked over and I saw what I thought was a little kid because they wear these grass, these grass hats out in the rice fields and stuff. And I looked over and a kid was climbing over every fence, running and then climbing over the next fence and climbing and running and climbing over the next one. And I thought it was some little kid. And I looked over, and when they got closer, I realized it was an old lady. I said to the other guys, they're all the same size. They're all little. You can't tell whether it's a man or a woman. Am I right, guys? Many times you have no idea, is that a man or a woman or a child or an adult? You don't know. 
God wants us to recognize the enemy and fight the enemy, not each other. If we don't stop fighting each other, the church is finished. If we can't come together, the church is literally finished. And so most of the people were killed by, by friendly fire. You have to ask yourself, who is fighting with me? Who's fighting with me? I don't want to fight against those. I don't want to call the body of Christ's enemies, but I need to know who's fighting with me, who it is that's fighting for me. And, and I need to have people that I trust to help build this church. Who do I trust that isn't backstabbing me and backstabbing my family and really would like to see disaster come to us rather than work together to do the work for the kingdom of God? And you think for one second that you can take a break from it? You think for one second you can let up on the rules of engagement because I actually have, have to stop. A young American engineer was sent to Ireland for a year. I don't want that fourth point, by the way, Ina. When he left, his fiancée gave him a harmonica. And she said to him as she's saying goodbye to him, she said, um, he wanted to kiss her goodbye. And, he, and she said to him, I want you to learn to play this. It'll keep you from looking at those other Irish girls. I want you to learn for me how to play the harmonica. The year passes, he wrote her often and told her how much he was practicing his harmonica. He can't wait for the day to see her, and she can't wait for him. And after a year, she meets him at the airport, and he runs over, and he's ready to kiss her. And she said, stop, just a second. Play the harmonica. We say that we're doing these things and that we love God and we love God. And, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what the pastor's saying. I'm reading the word every day, and I'm recognizing who the enemy is, and I'm, I'm doing these things when in reality we're doing none of it. None. None. We're not praying. We're not reading. We're not joining with other Christians so that they can help us to move forward. We're doing none of it. Because we don't really love them. We just want something from them. Hmm. You just want a girl. He will make you wait long enough to see what your real motivation is. You believe that? Yes or no? I got to close, but do you honestly believe that? Yes or no? Yes. I believe it. He will wait long enough to see what your motivation is. Two robins were sitting in a tree, and they said, I'm, I'm really hungry, one of them said. Me too, said the second robin. Let's fly down and find some lunch. So they flew down to the ground, found a nice plot of plowed ground full of worms. They ate so much that they couldn't even eat anymore. I'm so full, I don't think I can fly back up to the fence. In the tree, said the first one. Me neither. Let's just stay here and bask in the warm sun, said the second one. Okay, said the first one. Then one of those demon-possessed cats came along. Big, fat, demon-possessed cats. <laughs> yes. All the cat lovers are going, <laughs> Big, fat tomcat snuck up. And gobble down the two robins. Moral of the story? Simple. They love Baskin Robbins. <laughs> what a powerful way to finish my message. 